Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. And before we get into this episode, we'd like to acknowledge our newest patron. Joining our legend tier is Thomas Martin. Thomas, thank you so much for signing up on Patreon. Thank you. We so appreciate your support. And to all the listeners out there, if you enjoy the podcast and feel it's worth to support with a monthly donation, head on over to the Patreon website or download the Patreon app and find Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews under Creators. There are four different tiers to choose from to sign up on, and each tier unlocks special perks like early episodes, a monthly bonus episode exclusively for patrons that we do, and a monthly session called Bullshitting, where a group of patrons just get together and basically shoot the shit about any topic. We actually just recorded one before we recorded this episode. We're building a cool little community there, and I'm so grateful for all of our patrons. Their support keeps the show going, and all of them rock. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. So on this episode, we're going to review Judas Priest's 1981 album, Point of Entry. Lou, what's your backstory with Judas Priest in this particular album? I come in right here. This record, when this record was brand new, my friend Norm brought it over, and uh, I liked it immediately. It It was heavy like Zeppelin and Sabbath, but different. It had like a poppier flavor to it. Um, it had hooks and choruses. I can honestly say that from side one, track one, I was hooked. And I sought all the rest of them out, the ones before. And I stayed with them up until like the early 90s almost, um, when they replaced their singer and went in a direction I just no longer appreciated. But this is what I consider the end of classic Judas Priest, this album. Before the Screaming for Vengeance superstardom took over and their sound like changing more into like a guitar sport than before. Uh, It was cool for a while, though, but this album, this is it. We've covered Priest twice before on the podcast with Stained Class and British Steel. And like I said on those shows, I was a latecomer to Judas Priest. I knew of them, of course, being an 80s metalhead. I knew their big tunes. You had to know them. I knew they were a pivotal metal band, but I inexplicably never checked them out until I got the Screaming for Vengeance CD. In 19- I got it in 1991, wow. right around the time that Painkiller came out. And I loved it, naturally, and that just set off the chain reaction in my brain to buying up all of their CDs, and I quickly became a massive Priest fan. So Point of Entry was just one of those CDs I got in the early 90s. I don't know exactly when I heard it for the first time. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, at least the facts as they appear on Wikipedia. Point of Entry is the seventh studio album by English heavy metal band Judas Priest, released on February 26, 1981, on Columbia Records. It was produced by Tom Allum and Judas Priest and was recorded from October to November 1980 at Ibiza Sound Studios, Ibiza, Spain. It reached number 14 on the UK Albums Chart and number 39 on the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified silver by the BPI and gold by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got Rob Halford on vocals, K.K. Downing on guitars, Glenn Tipton on guitars, Ian Hill on bass, and Dave Holland on drums. Additionally, all tracks are written by Glenn Tipton, Rob Halford, and K.K. Downing. 
Okay, let's ride into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We open with Heading Out to the Highway. What do you think? Those opening riffs, it, the tone sounds like Godzilla. Uh, Halford, he's like the master of ceremonies on this too. Dave Holland's simple 4-4 drum pattern, Ian Hill's thudding bottom end metronome is the perfect introduction to this band. The metal gods heading out to the highway. He's got nothing to lose. Going to take his chance before he falls. He's not killing anybody, not hurting anyone. Just a positive song about taking a chance while you're still alive. The twin guitar harmony solo is a simple one, and each year that gets your Wayne's World fingers twiddling in the air. Dave Holland's fills kind of cross your head in your car stereo to get you hammering on your dashboard. This is one of the best driving tunes ever written. You might call this Living After Midnight Part 2, but this is a better song. It's got a looser groove. It's bouncier than anything on British Steel. And let's talk about that scream. On the highway. <laughs> Live, it goes into another stratosphere. It's it's like his showcase almost. It, perfect intro to set the tone for this perfect heavy metal classic. Wow, you said just about everything that I'm about to. <laughs> it opens with a hard, tasty riff and goes into a straight-ahead mid-tempo rocker with Dave Holland playing a simple straight beat. Ian Hill as the master of simplicity with a one-note bass line that still somehow serves as the track's propulsion. He makes you feel like you're barreling down the highway on your motorcycle. And guitarist K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton each blaring out identical power chords. And of course, we have the metal god, Rob Halford, snarling, growling, and wailing on vocals, really grabbing your ear with the insanely catchy chorus and giving us a patented long note held at the very end of the tune. The lyrics also have a simple message. Live your life on your own terms. Make your own choices and go your own path. Even when you have setbacks or obstacles, persevere and overcome them. This is structured like a pop tune. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And we get a short but cool guitar mini solo. And this has the feel of a sequel to Living After Midnight. Of course, I, I, yeah, I actually wrote that, Lou. Off their previous album, British Steel. Despite its simplicity, I've always loved this track. It's a strong album opener, and it was the third single from the album, only released in the United States, that reached number 10 on the U.S. Billboard Top Tracks chart, now known as the Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. The next track is Don't Go. Going. 
that minor chord blast right at the beginning. No, it just gets me every time. I love the intro. After that, that last final scream of, of highway, this just fucking punches you right in the face. A plotting rocker for that second tune. Metal God's getting fucked around by somebody. Getting a load of shit dumped in his lap. And he don't like it. He don't want to be no one night stand. The balls are as big as the bottom end. The crunchy guitars pepper the verses. Chorus pleads not to go. Don't take it away. Take what away, Rob? What don't you want going? How did we not know? <laughs> How did we not put two and two together? <laughs> I never did. And well, now it just doesn't matter. The screaming high guitar notes behind the chorus just make me squint in the most metal of air guitarists. The song two, still no fade out. And that last take it away <laughs> kind of fades into the third track. Another great friggin' tune. Two for two. Yeah, the main guitar riff has a cool start and stop dirty feel to it with big bends and Holland supplying open hi-hat accents. Halford sneers the vocals in the verses and the choruses open up to big harmonized vocals and drawn out chords. This is the pop rock formula Priest frequently uses all over this record. Hmm. Downing takes the solo and he delivers. The skinny is that his style is wilder, less precise than Tipton's. You could call it sloppier, but it gives the band a loose vibe that at times is welcome. But seriously, my ear isn't good enough to always tell who's who, so I had to look up who's taking each solo, so I'm not like an expert on who's playing what. The lyrics are about a man pleading for a lover not to leave him in the morning. He'd do anything to make the lover stay, inside out, upside down, back to front, and all around. Halford was wise enough not to specify if he was talking about a man or a woman, but we all know what he means, don't we? I dig the sing-along, don't go, chorus, and I dig this track. It also was the first single from the album that reached number 51 on the UK singles chart. The following track is Hot Rockin'. about this one lou burn air pop burn air pop pop that tone is what legends are forged from a cranked marshal with whatever overdrive is using and make it sound like a dragster engine again a four four beat by mr holland sounds more like a precision wristwatch and it's timing rob's done a share working out it's the only thing that gives him peace of mind. He wants to go. He wants to go. Wants to go. But fucking. <laughs> oh, wait. Just kidding. He wants to rock the fuck out. <laughs> he wants to hear the crowd roar. His body starts to soar. That feeling of being in front of a massive metal crowd all headbanging and he wants to go. Hot rocking. But fucking. <laughs> Those dual leads are impressive. KK's in one ear. Glenn's in the other, and they switch back and forth with that one lick more impressive than the next. It's amazing. All the while, the rhythm section is laying down this heavy base of asphalt to ride over. 
Holy crap, Sticks. This is fucking good. Three for three. This record is fucking awesome so far. I think almost every hard rock or metal band worth its salt has a variation of the main riff of this song. Yep. A choppy chugger that's played by both guitarists and goes into a medium tempo rocker with Hill's bass on steady autopilot and Holland playing as simple a beat as can be played with <laughs> another shout-along chorus. Downing and Tipton split the solo section between them. Like Lou said, it's awesome. Rob Halford wants to do some hot rocking. He wants to go to the club, cut loose, <laughs> scream and shout, feed off the energy of the crowd. It's all he craves. The breakdown section starts with some basic drum fills and sustained chords, a slight deviation from the main riff before charging back into the final verse and chorus. And yeah, I'm in hot rocking. <laughs> this was this was the second single that reached number 60 on the UK singles chart. Oh, and, and the video is just hideous. <laughs> the next track is Turning Circles. this one Lou I like the call and response between the dual guitars and the bass and drums it's a, the mid-tempo number of the side perfectly placed in the running order here I wish I had Mike uh to, to comment on it as well he's he's a, a running order guy gives you a breather right before the next song listening back it's amazing how simple these songs were how complex they interwove the guitars and the vocal overlays. The double and triple track vocals make an army of Rob's singing lead and backup. Another great track. This starts with a very dry guitar lick, and then it develops into the wet as fuck 80s pop metal <laughs> sound Priest has been utilizing throughout this whole album, and they would continue to use thereafter. There's no complexity to the songwriting. Everything is basic and simple. Play the main riff through the verses and open it up with sustained chords for the choruses. There's no solo section per se, but the breakdown is interesting as the guitars drown out and open up space for free-floating guitar notes and lines and Halford's uh-huh, uh-huh, wordless vocals. <laughs> I interpret these lyrics to be that our narrator is tired of the situation he's in with a friend or lover, whatever the case may be. But things for him are changing, so he's out of there. He's had his share of ups and downs, and he's not going to ruin with this person. Is this a classic priest song? No. Do I like it? Yeah. It's okay. It doesn't knock my socks off, but I don't skip it. The following track is Desert Plains. this one Lou hell yeah I do it's a great riff 
But Ian Hill and Dave Holland are the stars of this song. That syncopated hiccuping rhythm that they do is impossible not to get your foot tapping. Rob's in full metal god mode with the heavy reverb vocals that make him sound like he's standing on a mountaintop giving you a sermon almost. This definite mood piece and the production makes it sound massive. The scratching chugga-chugga guitar rhythms and on the outro behind Rob's really restrained screams as opposed to the Priest live video where he's using this as his vocal solo, screaming so high he could shatter some glass. Hmm. The song fades out here, but it fits. It's like a perfect end to a perfect album side. Sounds like Rob broke out the Harley and rode across the desert to bring someone some love. Maybe they just wanted a steak and a (laughs) blowjob. Amazing what a man will do for love. Again, knowing what I know now and having been exposed to some rather questionable images from the internet over the years, it creates a very different picture in my mind as opposed to when I first heard this. (laughs) Well, this is something different. Hill's playing a cool percolating bass line and shows he could do more than play root notes. He usually gets a couple of tracks each album to show off a little bit. The guitarists strum out the chord progression, but there's also a chugging guitar line that fades in and out and adds a blurry, mysterious vibe to the track. While there's heavy reverb on the drums at certain spots, it gives it a huge cavernous effect, like it's just pounding into your brain. All this music builds up as the song progresses and it works really well. Both guitarists trade off short solos again, while Halford's vocals are very processed and sounds like he could be riding out on a desert plane, which is what the lyrics are about. Our man's on his way back to his lover, the engine roaring between his thighs, echoing with the mountain thunder until he sees who he's looking for in the distance. I really dig this one, and it was regularly played throughout the 80s. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Solar Angels. thoughts okay the intro to this here is cooler than kiss opening up their 77 show with i stole your love they used the same kind of hydraulic lifts live on the tour and it was fucking cool as shit the phased out dual guitars chugging this riff makes your head swim in headphones or on a really loud stereo everything about this song screams early 80s metal and i say that in a good way This is the new wave of British heavy metal before it got adulterated with guitar hero calisthenics and those fucking beehive solos. These guys were the blueprint. They did it first, and this fucking song soars. I can't help but start screaming along with him, throwing wads of glitter from my palms everywhere. The flanged out (laughs) gong after every verse makes everything sound like it's all in slow motion. My wife is really pissed because there's glitter everywhere now. As for words... Rob be tripping on something, man, because I can't make him out. But the last time I had myself some shrooms, I came up with some similar shit. (laughs) The outro 
solo again sounds like Godzilla and Mothra having it out in the Sea of Japan, and and that last grinding note just rattles my cockles all the way down to the dividing line in my taint. <laughs> if you don't believe me, crank this up and sit on your subwoofer. It's a <laughs> great tune. We begin with another chugging riff with a flanger effect on it to give it that spacey effect. The drums lock into a shuffle groove while the bass settles into a mid-tempo gallop, and the guitars riff in tandem again while all manner of weird and ominous sci-fi effects swoop in and out of the track. The vocal melodies are in Halford's higher register, and there's no real chorus this time, only three separate stanzas with some trippy lyrics in which our narrator seems to be welcoming alien spaceships to Earth, or maybe it's the metal space gods coming down to meet the metal god himself. I'm open to that. With the golden halos, diamond visions, softly breathing fire, silver crystals, white light spirals, glass formations, spectral gliders? Shit. Tipton solos played over a new musical section and is mostly constructed from long bended notes. Nothing fancy gets the job done. It's about as psychedelic as this era of Priest gets, and this is another winner for me. The next track is You Say Yes. say i say it's almost got a van haleny riff to it and a verse to match the chorus is getting a little grating but it's it's made up for when they fall into that chasm that's that middle eight where everything just kind of wraps you in that cozy comfy warm metal blanket of oh yeah <laughs> whoa, whoa why do you treat me so <laughs> what I do, what I do, what I do. He gets a little bluesy. <laughs> you say yes, yes. I say no, 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 no. By the time they break back into the song, I'm fully engaged. And this song rocks as hard as the rest. No problem here, officer. <laughs> All right. Now this one's just silly. <laughs> A near rockabilly style riff kicks us off and grows into a goofy heavy rock stomp complete with staccato bass notes. Halford's horny again and on the prowl. He's got his sights on a guy, but he's such a tease. Come on, dude. The man's blood's boiling. He needs relief. He can't take it anymore. It's got another dumbest fuck chorus that I find myself singing, and there's an odd breakdown section with wide open space, bass notes boinging out, faint guitar notes and licks and sighing vocals that sound like they're floating in outer space. Lou imitated it very well. This is absolutely the definition of filler, but there's such a goofy charm to it that it makes me like it. I don't care. Sue me. You say yes! <laughs> it's actually one of my favorites. The following track is All the Way.
Well, this is like Metal Martha and the Vandellas. All right, baby. You know how to have a good time. <laughs> Again, how did we not put two and two together? <laughs> put your hands on your hips and a snarl on your lips. Throw out your hands, stick out your tush, hands on your hips, give them a push. You'll be surprised you're doing the French mistake. Voila! Voila! <laughs> it's another good rocker. Get your head moving, foot tapping, and in no way filler, even though it wasn't one of the hits from the album. Again, the lyrics read as a motivational speech, and there's nothing but positivity and support. You take it all away, baby. Yeah. <laughs> the solo, again, is in a more rock style and not the guitar aesthetics that would plague their later records. This is rock and roll. It's got metallic glitter added, but I'm still on board. Great tune. It's almost like rinse and repeat for many of these tracks. We get a basic intro lick, heavy chords in the verses, insert a pause, and then catchy choruses. This actually sounds closer to the Rolling Stones than, like, say, what they would do on Painkiller years later. Halford even tries out some Jagger-esque spoken word callouts during the intro, and this time Halford's in heat. He sees how that dude's standing with his hands on his hips. He's going to submit to this man. This guy going to take the lead, take the wheel, and crack the whip. The metal god's looking to be tamed by this man. He'll take it all the way. Halford seems willing to take it all. The intro lick returns with hand claps, again very stonesy. And for the love of Crisco, will somebody bone Rob Halford before the man's balls explode? <laughs> The penultimate track is Troubleshooter. Dave switches it up a bit here. Instead of dum bap dum bap dum dum, he's going boom bap boom boom bap boom. <laughs> <laughs> I dig the little fills the guitars are doing at the end of each of the lines in the verses. Uh, it's it's not really clear what he's singing about, but he sounds like he really likes his masseuse. It's got a singable chorus. The solos meat and potatoes. Judas Priest. The dueling solos are never really that far out in technicality and not at that level of buzzsaw annoying that this genre would morph into. I don't appreciate the fade out on this one either, but it's still a decent tune. This starts with a drum pattern sort of reminiscent of Living After Midnight, but then it becomes yet another mid-tempo hard rocker that feels like well-tread territory by now. It's kind of wearing out its welcome. Well, we get the simple verse riff and big chorus section, but at least Halford's actually scoring in this song as opposed to just chasing Dick. He's going to the promised land with this guy, getting satisfaction, taking what the guy's making, mending from the bending. Rob appears to like it rough. I will give this track one thing. The split solos are super tasty, some of the best on the record. It's bluesy and distinct, but it's not enough to save this one for me. It's got the weakest chorus, and I'm calling it Aaron's Stinky Stinker.
And that brings us to the final track, On the Run. How about this last one, Lou? Well, this sounds very Van Halen-esque as well. Very heavy riff. Rolling, thundering, drum and bass, bottom end. Criminally simple song about being on the road, rocking and selling his soul, shaking all day and all night. Again, the metallic tone. Tom Allen has these guys just dialed in. Basically set the, the tone for the rest of the decade. There was one difference. These guys didn't copy it from anyone. They were trendsetters. No one did it better. They're the metal gods in my eyes, and this is the perfect end to a perfect album. This has some life. The blues rock riff sits atop a sped-up shuffle groove, with Halford hitting some long notes all over this track and really grabbing the high notes on the chorus. <laughs> just like that. He's capable of going even higher, but I'm just glad to hear him reach for it because he's stuck to mostly his growly mid-range on most of the album. Lyrically, Halford declares he sold his soul for rock and roll. Fuck tomorrow. It's all about riding to the next gig tonight. Living for the moment. Tipton gets the last solo and he turns in a solid, serviceable performance. Very bluesy once again, which fits the groove nicely. As album closers go, it's okay. I'm not hating, but they've certainly done better. Now that the track by track is done, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which headed out to the highway and got run over by a Mack truck. <clears throat> Lou, what are your final thoughts on Point of Entry? Well, metal got ridiculous, and these guys are part of the reason why it got that way. But at this point in their career, they were still trendsetters, and this was cool. This was the next step in my evolution as a hard rock fan. This was dangerous at the time. Guys in leather jackets and spikes playing loud, screaming rock. I thought they looked and sounded cool, and that's all, that, that was all I could say about that. The only thing I knew of Judas Priest before this was two idiot girls in eighth grade homeroom that carved the green Manalishi words into their arms with razors. And I thought that was pretty fucked up. So I was interested in, in who would make them do that. And it was Judas Priest. Well, in actuality, they weren't responsible. Those girls were just two idiots. And Judas Priest fucking rocked and never encouraged me to destroy myself in any way or subliminally want to make me kill myself or worship the fucking devil. I give this record a five. Every song's a good one, and there aren't any skippers on it for me. Woohoo! Following the commercial success of their 1980 album, British Steel. Judas Priest decided to pursue the more radio-friendly direction they took with certain tracks from that record with encouragement from their record company as they began to plot out the follow-up album. Now that they were making more money, the band decided to fly all of their equipment to the island of Ibiza, Spain to use the then-state-of-the-art Ibiza Sound Studios to write and record the new material to capture a live feel as opposed to their earlier style of having the songs already written prior to entering the studio. The band members found themselves distracted with the wild Ibiza nightlife and low-cost alcohol, 
and the songs that emerged from the sessions certainly pointed the band in a more commercial direction than they had ever attempted previously. The album cover for most of the world was a photo of an airplane wing stretched over the horizon, designed by Roslav Zabo, but North America would receive an alternate album cover designed by John Berg with a picture of a roll of computer paper dividing a desert road stretching out to the horizon. No one was satisfied with either cover. When it was released, Point of Entry received mixed reviews from critics and was not nearly as well received by fans as British Steel. I don't know. I've always kind of liked this record. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's more commercial, more poppy than maybe anything else Priest has done, but there's some real gems here, especially Desert Plains, Solar Angels, and everybody knows heading out to the highway. That's a Judas Priest classic. They're still concert staples, too. Yes. The band members have expressed over time that they felt it was an underrated album, and I want to agree with that. It unfortunately sits between two pillars of the band's catalog <laughs> with British Steel and Screaming for Vengeance. And there are an awful lot of undercooked tunes, especially in the second half of the record, that are barely saved by catchy choruses. This really is Rob Halford's record. He gives it his all. His performances are top-notch, and he all but stands under a neon sign saying, I'm gay, with most of these lyrics. It really is kind of telling, though, that half of these songs have never been played live to this day. So there is no doubt that this is not one of Priest's better records. I sort of compare this in my mind to the recent review of the Alice Cooper album School's Out we did. I like the album. I really do. I'm a huge Judas Priest fan, but it just doesn't measure up to some of the band's other work. And if I'm ranking it, it is in the bottom half of the Priest catalog for me. I give Point of Entry a three, and I don't feel bad about that for this band. Shit. Now knowing what's coming down the pike, I'm glad they made a weird, quirky little album like this as they continue to roll along in the 80s. I think I'm just a fan of the underdog because I gave schools out a five, too. You did. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. And I'm Lou. See ya. I say no. I wanna go. I wanna go. wanna go. Hot Rockin'! How did we not know? <laughs> you, know I hear, you know, I did hear rumors about him before he came out, but uh, I, I, I never... Just didn't wanna, I just didn't want to know. I, I didn't put it in the songs, though. I didn't know, I didn't know that he was, like, singing about it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it was regular... I, I, I struggle with the word regularly.
real bad. <clears throat> I don't know why I even insert this fucking word into the podcast. <clears throat> the following track is all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Take it all the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, balls deep is really like balls. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right, all right.